Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Give God the praise tonight for what's happening in this revival. I have been excited for what the Lord is bringing to pass. And I believe God has a word for this church. And I don't want to delay. I want to get right into the manna tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. I'll be reading a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 1. And while you're turning, special thank you to Pastor Gill and young brother Gill. This afternoon, we had a wonderful time talking over some word and taking a deep dive in the word of God. I am thankful that God is raising up a generation of young ministers. I believe the message is continuing on to the next generation. I believe that. Hallelujah. I'm excited about what I see that God is building in the years to come. Praise God. Praise God. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. When you're there, say amen. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Skipping down to verse number 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are, say, 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. This evening, got a different kind of sermon for a few minutes. want to preach to you on the missing descendant. The missing descendant. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your people. I ask you to bless every soul tonight. We ask for your kingdom to increase and go forward. Lord God, just for your perfect plan to be done. And we give you all of the glory for your perfect will being accomplished in this service. We thank you for being here, for answering our prayers and meeting our needs. We thank you for direction from heaven. We give you honor and praise for your word this evening. Thank you for revival, Jesus. We feel your presence in this place. And the church says, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David. Fourteen generations from King David to the carrying away to Babylon. And the king who was carried to Babylon was named King Jeconiah. Fourteen generations from King Jeconiah carried to Babylon to Christ. 14, 14, and 14. You don't have to have a doctorate to do that math problem. That math problem adds up to 42. But there is an issue because even though 14 and 14 and 14 adds up to 42, if you start with Abraham in verse 1 and count down to Jesus in verse 16, there's only 41 names in this chapter. When the Bible says there's 42, you're one name short in Matthew chapter 1. And that is a problem. 
And that happens sometimes in the Word of God. Sometimes you, a Christian, will be reading a verse, a chapter, a passage, and something you will encounter will not fit into a preconception. And you have reached, dear saint, a decision point. You can either do what the majority of Christians do in that moment, which is to say, skip that verse and ignore it. It's what most Christians do. Or you can make a different choice. You can make the choice the apostolic church makes. You can say, even if it doesn't fit my preconceptions, I believe in God's word. I believe in every line. I believe it is for me. And I want to follow it. And I want to obey it. And I want it to mold me and to shape me. Praise God. Even if I don't comprehend it in that moment, I will trust the word of God no matter what may come. I had a moment just like this many years ago. I was reading in Matthew chapter 1, and I encountered there was only 41 names. I hadn't planned on counting those names, but I felt impressed of the Holy Ghost to, to go through that genealogy and count the names. And there were only 41 there. So I prayed and asked God for help. You should always do that. When something doesn't make sense in the Word of God, trust me, the Bible is right, and there is a solution to your question. I prayed and asked God for help, and the Lord impressed me to count backwards. And so I did. I started with Jesus, and I counted backwards to King Jeconiah, or Jeconias, it says here, carried to Babylon. And that's 14 names, just like the Bible says, from Jesus backwards to Jeconiah, or Jeconias. King Jeconiah's father was a man named King Josiah, or Josias, it says here. You count backward from King Josiah to King David, that's 14 names, just like the Bible says. David's father was a man named Jesse. If you count backward from Jesse to Abraham, though, there are only 13 names. And herein lies the problem. And it's where I get the title of this message. Between Abraham and Jesse, there is a missing descendant in the Word of God. Now, I believe the Holy Ghost impressed me with this individual's identity. So if you'll indulge me for a couple of minutes, I want to preach to you their story. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis chapter 38. And let me tell you the story of the missing descendant. Genesis chapter 38 and verse number 1. We're going back about 4,000 years. Back to a man named Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob, the grandson of Isaac, and the great-grandson of Abraham. He was one of 12 brothers. The chapter begins by setting the tone. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren. Stop! we got to pause right here. i got to tell you something really significant. Because Judah, you get it, is backsliding. Judah is drawing back from his brethren. He went down from his brethren. And when you do that as a saint, you are not getting closer to God. You're getting further away from God. It will not be okay if I draw back from my brothers and my sisters. Because, you see, I need my church family. I need my fellow warriors. I need the house that God has placed me into. I need your prayers. I need to worship alongside of you. I need the church. I need my brothers. 
Judah went down from his brethren, that was step one, and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. He began to live with sinners. And if you hang around sinful people long enough and draw away from your brethren, then the only people surrounding you after a while will be sinners. Praise God. And that's what happened to Judah. Verse 2, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her, she became his wife. And that was step three. Step one, he drew back from the brothers. Step two, he began living with sinners. And step three, sin was now in his family. And the backsliding was complete. Judah married this Canaanite named Shua and had three boys. Three boys named Ur, Onan, and Shelah. But it came to pass somewhere around verse 6 that Ur got about marrying age. And Ur was looking around for a wife. And around that time is when Judah got a conscience because it hit him what he had done. He had lived outside of the faith. And if he lets Ur keep going, then Ur is going to be totally, completely separated from God. And Judah did not want that. Judah wanted Ur to have a good life. Judah, his father, wanted him to have a better life than what he had. I believe all fathers have that desire for your sons. You want your sons to have a better life than what you had. You want them to have better things than what you experienced. And so Judah helped him out. Verse 6, And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Judah found a good, godly lady. And her name was Tamar. Now Tamar was a good girl, but Ur wasn't exactly a good guy. Verse 7, And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. Ur did not exactly treat Tamar well, and Ur did not treat his maker very well. The two are connected, you see. How your relationship with God is will affect your relationship with other people around you in your life. Now the Lord took care of this. The Lord slew Ur. And in verse 8, I've got to explain this. They had a custom back here in the ancient world that when a man died and he had no children, it was encouraged for their next of kin to raise up seed in the inheritance of that deceased individual. And that is what Judah and Onan do. Onan was the next in line. He was the closest brother to Ur. And so Judah tells Onan, the next youngest brother, Go into Tamar, marry her, raise up seed. And Onan does this. Stay at verse 8 here. Onan does this. He's going to raise up seed in the inheritance of his brother. Except when he begins to go through with it, he starts thinking. If I raise up seed in my brother's name, that means them and my kids and Shayla's kids will all get our father's inheritance. Our father's inheritance will be divided three ways. But if I don't raise up seed in the name of Ur, then only myself and my younger brother Shelah will have to divide my father's inheritance. And there'll be a bigger pile of stuff 
for us to choose from. In other words, what Onam was doing was making decisions based on this, the wallet. And saints, mark it down. When this makes decisions for me, you're going to be in trouble. I don't want to make choices based on this. I want to make choices based on this, the word of God. I want it to guide me, not the wallet. He cannot serve God and mammon. I want to serve the Lord. I want to follow his directive for me. Now, without going in too much detail, just trust me. At the last possible moment, Onan didn't go through with it. He did not raise up seed. Verse 10. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Now, Tamar you got to feel bad for her. She didn't ask for this. She was a good girl. She didn't ask to marry two dirtbags and nincompoops and idiots. She didn't want all this in her life and history. But God saw this, and the Lord watched out for her. In verse 11, Judah tells her, Don't worry. Remain a widow at thy father's house till Selah, my son, be fully grown, he says. When Selah, my youngest son, is ready in marrying age, then you'll marry him, and he'll be a good man. I'll make sure he'll be a good husband to you. And Tamar believes Judah. So she goes back and waits and waits and waits and waits and waits and waits and waits. And then Tamar realizes that now the third man in her life has done her wrong. Judah, her two husbands' father, has now lied to her and deceived her. So Tamar has reached her breaking point. We all have a breaking point. We all have that moment in our lives where if somebody else does one more thing, we just don't know what we will do. Tamar was there. And Tamar did some bad stuff. Tamar dressed up like a sinful woman, and she did some sinful things with Judah. And Tamar became with child of Judah, her father-in-law. Now, was that ugly? Yes, it is. Not pretty, but it is in the Word of God. The Word of God is not edited for content, is it? God does not lie to you, does he? He will always tell you the truth. God is the only one who will tell you the truth. He will not hold back. He will always speak to you things as they occurred. He will not lie to you or deceive you. It was ugly. Now, did God have a way of bringing these people to repentance? Yes, he did. God brought Judah to repentance, and God brought Tamar to repentance, and God forgave their sin. They both repented of what they had done, and they both began to live for the Lord after this. But here was the end product of all of this. Tamar was with seed of Judah. And Tamar had a child named Phares. And you'll read Tamar's name in Matthew chapter 1. And you'll read that Tamar had Phares of Judah in Matthew chapter 1. And the problem with that is it was not supposed to be Judah, was it? It was supposed to have been Judah's son, Shelah. Because Judah told her, I'm going to give you Shelah, my son. He was supposed to have been in the lineage of the Messiah. Because of decisions of people, his name was removed. But as weird as that whole story is, there's something really encouraging there. 
Because even though Shelah's name is not recorded in Matthew chapter 1, even though men's devices and schemes edited him out, even if there's only 41 names listed, God still says there's 42. Because it didn't matter what man chose and decided. God still saw his life. And God still loves Shelah. And no matter what men thought, God still counted his life. I believe that God counts people that this world has counted out. I believe that God counts testimonies and lives that nobody else might be aware of, even if my friends don't see it, even if it doesn't make the annals of social media. God still sees you, and God still loves you, and God still counts you. Hallelujah. I believe that God uses people that this world doesn't even know about. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 12. The apostle John is prophesying here to the church. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Say books. Books, plural, not singular. It's not talking about the Lamb's book of life. It talks about that later. What's it talking about here, preacher? It's telling you that in heaven there are books of record. Books where God has recorded every prayer that you have prayed. Books where God has seen every good deed that you have done. Books where God heard every encouraging word you spoke to your brother and your sister. Every intercessory prayer. Every act of love and compassion. Every support in an hour of need God saw it all God has recorded it and God counts you hallelujah 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 I believe that God will use people this world does not count people just like the boy with the five loaves and the two fishes in John chapter 6 That chapter in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, records there were about 5,000 men, right? 5,000 men didn't count the females and the children, did the Word of God. They did not count how many ladies and children, only 5,000 men. But I ask you, was it a man who had the miracle or was it an uncounted, a lad, one of those children who was not numbered in the crowd? It was not a numbered soul, not even a named individual. I don't even know his name, but he had the seed of the miracle in John chapter 6. That day somebody that nobody else knew about was used of God. And could that be you tonight? Could you have the five loaves and the two fishes? Could you have the seed of the miracle for somebody else? Hallelujah. God used the lad. I believe also the woman at the well was one such individual. In John chapter 4 and verse number 6, Jesus went to the well at about the sixth hour of the day, sixth hour after dawn, so around noonday, the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. That means nobody else was at the well. That is when she went there. Why? Because she knew she was a lady with a past. She knew what she was. She knew she had five husbands. She knew what she had done. She was not trying to make a scene. 
But when she arrived at the well, there was somebody who was there waiting for her when she and only she would come. And in one encounter with the master, in one meeting with the Messiah, he began to change her. The shepherd had left the 99 that day and was reaching for the one. In one meeting with her savior, she was transformed from a sinner to an evangelist going in the town and telling everybody what Jesus had said to her. That's all it takes, saints. One encounter, one revival service, one meeting with your maker, and God can change my life. I can be a new man tonight. God can begin to speak in me, and God can mold you, and God can shape you. Tonight could be your night of miracles if I'll just believe, if I'll press a little further, if I'll go to meet the master at the well. I believe that God still loves me, and God wants to use you, and God counts you. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. I love this verse. Talking about Jesus, who is the Word of God, records the image of the invisible God. Say invisible. Now, I have a theological dilemma about this verse because if God is invisible and I want to be godly, then will there be seasons when I will have to be invisible? Seasons where I am not seen and yet still used of the Lord. Seasons where God has called me, but others are not aware. Jesus astounded the scholars at the temple at age 12. Jesus turned the water into wine at the marriage at Cana at age 30. Now tell me even one thing about the 18 years in between. Tell me one story recorded in here. It's not there, is it? They're called the lost years of Jesus, the silent years, the missing years of Jesus. But I ask you, between age 12 and age 30, was he any less God? No. Was he any less anointed? No. Did he any less have a destiny of the Lord over him? And so tonight, are you any less godly in your years of silence? No. Are you any less anointed in your silent years? No. Are you any less destined of the Holy Ghost? Even right now, even if I'm in my year of silence, I am still called. I am still anointed. God still loves you. And God God counts you. Hallelujah. 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 The prophet Elijah was called of God, a prophet of the Lord. First Kings 17 and 1. He said, Thus saith the Lord, heaven shall not reign for three years. The prophet Elijah was a God called prophet. Now tell me even one thing about Elijah the prophet's life before he prophesied to King Ahab. You can't, can you? wonder what he was up to. I wonder what he was doing. What was the prophet up to in those years before his prophetic ministry with King Ahab? I wonder if those years before his prophecy of the drought, could those years have been years of training? 
When God was shaping him and making him and teaching him to be a prophet and how to follow the leading of God. And could it be that you are in your years of teaching and training that God is shaping you? He is the potter, you know, and we are the clay. Could you be feeling the hands of the potter upon this earthen vessel right now that is shaping your life? I might be in my years of silence, but there could be an Elijah ministry to come. I cannot judge the future fulfillment by the present whirlwind. I cannot judge my destiny to come by my current condition and trial. I believe that God does have a destiny for you. I believe that God does have a plan and operation for your life. God sees you. God is working in you. And God counts you. Hallelujah. 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 Feel this in the Holy Ghost for somebody right now. Joseph dreamed a dream. He saw the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. They all made obeisance to him, didn't they? Joseph dreamed dreams, prophetic dreams of God. Now show me Potiphar in Joseph's dreams. He's not there, is he? Show me the prison in Joseph's dreams. Not there. Show me the pit his brothers threw him in. Show me that pit in the dreams. Not there, is it? The pit, Potiphar, and the prison are not in the dreams of Joseph, in my personal opinion, because it was not the perfect will of God. It was men who threw him in the pit. It was men who sold him to slavery with Potiphar. It was men, Potiphar's wife, who lied and sent him to prison. But it was God who sent the butler. It was God who sent the baker. It was God who brought him before Pharaoh. And when all was told and said, Egypt was not the place where his dream died, was it? Egypt was the place where his dream came to pass. Even if I'm in a pit, even if I'm in prison, even if I'm dealing with Potiphar's around me, the dream will not die in Egypt. God will bring it to pass. God wants to use you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me tonight. Hallelujah. This evening, I want to close by reading you the words of Jesus. These are red letters in John chapter 15. And I love this. This is a powerful verse. Jesus spoke to the disciples. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you what's he saying I counted you when nobody else did before you were formed in the womb I destined you when you were fishermen of Galilee I called out to you come and follow me I made you my apostles when you had questions and did not understand my parables, I did not push you away. I took time and taught you. Peter, you might deny me, but Peter, I will never deny you. I have not written you off. There is a destiny you have. In 50 days, you're going to preach the sermon on the day of Pentecost. No matter what you've done, no matter what questions you have, God has destined you. God has called you. God has chosen you. And God counts you. 
tonight I ask you to step out from the pews would you make your way up front would you begin to come to the altar thank you for joining us today we pray you have been encouraged if you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com